Jesus is alive. He's alive today, and I just pray that each one of us would be able to feel his presence you know, here today, that uh, we'd be able to experience his glory, and that he would be working in each one of our hearts, that we would just be looking for areas or recognizing areas that we can turn over to him. Now, Jesus is alive and he's working. He's working in our midst. He's working in this church, churches around Rochester. You know, we, we think about churches uh, maybe on the West Coast that haven't started yet. But the churches in Australia where our son Michael lives, uh, that was like 16 hours ago they were having their, their service. They're on the other side of the date line, so they got, they got the advantage on us. So it's uh, all around the world. People are worshiping God in any way that we, they can. We have the advantage here of being free <clears throat> to uh, be able to meet. Uh, we're not afraid of somebody taking names and, you know, that we're, we're going to be uh, harassed in any way. Although... Uh, Harassment is good. We're actually going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But let's go back in time. I mean, this is Communion Sunday, the first Sunday of every month we do this. And uh, it's about the crucifixion. Now, we know that we celebrated that. Uh, and we, uh, we had that, that video that we, we might have been able to, uh, to put on the screen. It's Friday, but Sundays are coming. And we're looking for the resurrection, and we, we enjoyed, you know, uh, the Resurrection Sunday. Uh, the question I would like to ask this morning, who crucified Jesus? Now, there's different groups around the world that have different answers for that. And uh, we're going to talk about a few of them today. But uh, So the question is, was it the Jews? So a lot of people, uh, you know, persecute Jews because they say they're the ones that are responsible for, for crucifying uh, Christ. Uh, and they say, well, Jews were only doing what their, their leaders told them to do. So maybe it's just the Jewish leadership. But we know that it's the Romans that actually nailed them to the cross. You know, that, that uh, I mean, it was the Jews that scourged them, uh, but the Romans... Uh, you know, we're still beating them up a little bit, a lot. So just wanted to point out a few things to you. That, you know, some of this is historical, but all of it relates to our, our own vision, you know, of Christ and what he means to us. So the scribes and Pharisees didn't hate Jesus because he made them look ignorant or because he didn't follow their traditions. They hated Jesus because he threatened their security as enforcers of those traditions that gave them power, and they, uh, they felt threatened that way. The Sadducees didn't hate Jesus because he taught about angels and demons and heaven and hell and mostly about a resurrection. Jesus taught that, and they, but they didn't hate him for that. They hated Jesus because his teachers contradicted their religious doctrines, 
So the Pharisees saw Jesus as competition. You know, he's getting a lot more disciples than we are. And the Sadducees uh, saw Jesus as opposition. So even though they might not have agreed with each other on anything else, they didn't like Jesus. And so they were actually, you know, uh, an enemy of my enemy is my friend type of a thing. So the Pharisees saw Jesus uh, that way, but uh, then the Sadducees saw him Jesus, you know, their way. Uh, but Jesus and the scribes, or Jesus saw the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees as vipers and hypocrites. Because he was looking at things from a spiritual standpoint, and they were looking at, at things from a physical, you know, what's in it for me uh, standpoint. So if the, uh, the Romans, now what was their attitude? The Roman that were in power there were worried that if they allowed an insurrection to take place, if they were allow a, a riot that, that, that might indicate a you know, progression toward that, that the, the rest of the Roman army would actually invade them and they would just kill anybody that was involved in this. And, and they wouldn't care who it was, anybody that was arguing uh, they would just come in and kill. And so, yes, they, they would kill Christians, but they would also be killing the, uh, the, the Jews who were trying to you know, keep status quo. And these people in power would likely lose their power. So uh, now we read in John chapter 11, you know, verses 47 and 48. Uh, then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now in John 11, uh, you know, just the next two verses, you know, we, uh, we read, And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us now is this all for me, that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. So they looked at, at their own situation. They didn't want it to change. And they said, well, if all we've got to do is just kill one man, uh, you know, that saves us. So consequently, uh, you know, in verse 53, then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death, put Jesus to death. So it was all about power, all about me, all about status quo. Now, it's kind of interesting here for a, an application for today that uh, R.C. Sproul, he's a theologian of, of, you know, of, of our time frame. Um, you know, even today, church persecution doesn't start with the state, but with the part of the church that seeks to appease the state. So he also pointed out that persecution in the end doesn't divide the church. It actually brings us together. Uh, we don't have any persecution here. We'd be a lot, you know, it's conjectured that we'd be a whole lot stronger. We'd be more outgoing if there was persecution. But he says it doesn't, uh, persecution doesn't divide the church, but exposes the line between the wheat and the chaff. So that's between those who trust and, obey, trust and obey God 
and those who fear man rather than God. So, you know, you see person, persecution coming along and you, you can see what's going on right away. So people think that the church is fighting the church. It's not the church fighting the church. It's the chaff that's fighting the wheat. So Rome was willing to let Jews alone so long as they submitted to Roman authority. <clears throat> so the Jewish leadership falsely accused Jesus of wanting to replace Rome with his own kingdom and not paying taxes to Caesar. Now, if you read the Bible, you find out that he was just the opposite. You know, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and unto God that which is God. So pay your taxes. It's got a, it's got a Roman face on the front of it. Give it to them. Now in Luke 23, 1 through 3, then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. We're really cutting through the chase here. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you a king of the Jews? And he answered and said, It is as you say. Now we switch over to uh, Gospel of John, chapter 18, verse 36. Uh, John has a little different perspective on what Jesus answered. And said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered, in, delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So this is what Pilate heard. So uh, in Luke, chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Now this is the mob, but we got mob leaders, and the mob leaders knew what the party line was, and they were just going to keep yelling it. He's stirring the people up. Well, the people were... They were enjoying Christ being around. He was curing them of all kinds of diseases. He was exercising demons. He was feeding them when they, when they needed, and he had compassion on every one of them. Uh, not only did he, did he heal the, uh, the sick, but he raised the dead. Uh, if, I mean, that's, that's what we call a social gospel, but the social gospel stops there. And those are all good things to do. But just making somebody happy with this lifetime isn't the end. And the goal of evangelism is to prepare them for an eternity. So it's, it's I mean, you can be healthy right up until you die, and, and what good does it do if you go to hell? So it's important that uh, Jesus' message was, was more than just the, the social gospel. So uh, later on in Luke 23, uh, verses 20 to 23, Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and the voices of these men and of the chief priests 
prevailed. Remember, what he's concerned about is a riot. So in order to keep a riot from happening, happening then he, uh, he said, okay, I'll go along with the crowd. Uh, it's when you have principles that you live by, it doesn't make any difference what the crowd says. But got to remember, Pilate isn't uh, somebody that has principles that God gave him. So Matthew, again, chapter 27. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather uh, that a tumult was rising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude of sins, or between the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. Now, this is really self-condemning right here. And all the people answered and said, His blood be upon us and on our children. Wow. It would appear from these accounts that the Romans crucified Jesus to avoid a riot. It's also clear that the crucifixion would not have happened if the Jewish leadership had not insisted. And that the Jewish people would not have threatened a riot had they not put their faith in a religion and its leadership instead of the truths that Jesus taught and the proofs that his ministry was from God. So we had a blind people, and that's why Jesus called them the blind leading the blind. The leadership was only interested in themselves, and they taught the people that unless you are in this religion, you're going to go to hell. Have you heard that before, you know, in modern times? And you're so afraid of, of being able to, you know, miss. Uh, I, I understand from one of our missionaries a while ago that in the Philippines, for instance, that, that the, uh, uh, the priest would come around and he says, you better toe the line here with the, with the Catholics, you know, with the Catholic Church, because when you die, you won't get buried by us. Well, I want to get buried, so I better go to the Catholic Church. Well, uh, what he did, this is Keith Patterson, what he did was he set up another cemetery. <laughs> and so people were, were able to have a burial. They weren't afraid of that. But you see, that's the kind of power that they have. I mean, I, I picked on the Catholic Church because I, I know them well. But, but every religion has this kind of a, a religion. I call religion is a, is a, a faith in a man-made doctrine. And what we have, what we're trying to follow here, as much as we can, I mean, none of us are perfect. Uh, we don't all do it uh, all the time. And it's, it's, what we try to do, though, is, is follow God's word. So it's, it's in here. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reading from my notes because God doesn't speak to me extemporaneously. But he's been working on me all week to put these notes together. So I'm speaking from God, but I'm, it's like reading the Bible. So I'm, I'm plagiarizing me from earlier this week, and I'm plagiarizing him from all the scripture that I'm using. All right, so uh, the Jewish people would not have threatened a riot. Okay, so they were, they were following their leadership. Uh, so yes, uh, in answer to our question, uh, you know, who killed Jesus? You know, was it the Jews, the Jewish leadership, or the Romans? And yes, the Jews, the Jewish leadership, and the Romans did crucify Jesus. Now, I'm going to date myself here. Um, 
You can raise your hand if you want to. How many of you have heard of Paul Harvey? I've got a, we're a minority. I just want you to know that. <laughs> so, but as a radio commentator, Paul Harvey, we used to say, uh, let's hear the rest of the story. So I've heard about the Romans and the Sadducees and the, and the Pharisees and, and just people in general. Now, the rest of the story was that the crucifixion of Jesus was God's plan all along. God planned this. Now, unbeknownst to everyone but God at this point, Jesus was born to die. Now, Jesus is God. He's going to live forever from eternity past to eternity future. We are born to die because this, this, this earth is, is cursed with diseases. Uh, all of us are going to get sick. If you're not sick now, you're going to get sick. Uh, if you're still alive, you're going to die. 100% uh, of the people that, that uh, have lived uh, have died, including Jesus. Now, Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and everybody else that was resurrected from the dead, like Lazarus, they got to die twice. Uh, but the, uh, uh, now the point here is that unbeknownst to us, you know, God, you know, Jesus was born to die. He left plenty of clues. But even his closest disciples didn't catch on. And it wouldn't be until after his resurrection and after the New Testament had been written that this mystery was fully understood. Now we have all that now and we understand that death, uh, we understand why he died and we understand why he rose again from the dead and that's why he's still alive today and working in our hearts and we can feel his presence around us. So we, we understand uh, you know, the fact that when we die, to be, be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know that we're going to be with him. Uh, that's, that's the promise to the church. Uh, the church is all those from, uh, that have put their faith in Christ from the day of Pentecost until the rapture. There are different groups of people, and we've got, we got different things, but you, if you put your faith in God uh, before the church, uh, God's going to honor that. If you put your faith in God you know, after the rapture, God's going to honor that. Uh, but do it now. If you wait until the, the tribulation period, it's going to be really tough going. You know, and when you realize that you won't be able to buy groceries uh, and, and, and everything, you know, your whole livelihood has gone away and that people are looking for you to kill you, uh, you can get... You can be thinking twice about taking whatever mark it takes to, in order to survive. But, but that's all for, for people that aren't in the church. But if you're not in the church, you need to get in the church. You don't want to go, you don't want to take that second chance. Oh, I can always do it later. Uh, you don't want to do it later. Uh, just read about it. All right. Uh, so Jesus, the Messiah... Uh, we recognize he proved himself to be this Messiah. The Son of God came to earth to die according to God's timing. And there's some, some more uh, uh, ancient history. From in Daniel uh, chapter 9, uh, verse 25, and just uh, the first half of, of 26, in case uh, that goes further than what I'm going to read. Know therefore that under and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem... Until Messiah the Prince, and it was that time period, there shall be seven weeks, 
and 72 weeks, uh, the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. All right, now, there are scholars, okay. Uh, these guys, uh, they're willing to dig into the difference between the uh, you know, Gregorian calendar that we have today and the Jewish calendar. Uh, I haven't figured the Jewish calendar out. I mean, there are 30-day months, but that's 360 days a year. Uh, what do you do with the extra five? You know, they pile up until they put something else in. Okay. Uh, Mike Levine would know all about that, right, Mike? Okay. So, uh, but here's the, here's the point. Scholars have calculated that 62 weeks of years from the command to rebuild Jerusalem, given by Artaxerxes to Nehemiah, and historically they found out that that was on, this is back in the, whatever calendars they worked on, because, you know, you got a Babylonian calendar and you got the Jewish calendar. Uh, they determined that it was March 5th, 444 B.C. Now, that's, that's a lot of digging to be able to find that out. And uh, <clears throat> so that, uh, at 62 weeks, leads to March 30th, 33 A.D., the day that Jesus died on Passover of A.D. 33 to the day. Okay, now I haven't worked the math out. Okay, I'm a math major, but I, I haven't worked that math out. <clears throat> that's, that's a different kind of math. <coughs> Ooh, you didn't tell me about that one. <laughs> Pastor Ken does it with no, no after effects. <clears throat> All right, but more importantly, Jesus died voluntarily. Okay, so the timing was right. He was born before then. He was born miraculously, and he uh, died right on time. But the point is that he died voluntarily and was, was resurrected from the dead. So we read in Matthew 26, But Jesus said to him, Put your sword, this is after the, the, uh, uh, the Jewish uh, guard you know, came to arrest him uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Peter decided he was going to defend Jesus. He thought Jesus was, was all messed up, you know, wanting to die, so he was going to make sure he didn't die. So Jesus said, put your sword in his place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray in my Father, pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? So it had to happen. So Peter, don't... Don't interfere. I can handle this. I don't have to die. I can bring angels to my, de to my uh, defense. And John 10, 17 and 18. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life. I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Jesus had everything covered. He says, this is the plan. So Jesus died for Gentiles as well as Jews. We're going to find that out here. Who would repent of their sins. And that, was the, that was a caveat there. They had to repent of their sins and put their faith in him for forgiveness of their sins. 
And that's the gospel. You know, we can, we can have, well, we'll find out that this is eternal life when, when we're forgiven of our sins. And uh, so we read in John chapter 10, starting in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. So it goes both ways. Understand that, uh, you know, shepherds, they can, you know, you can look at sheep. I don't know, they all look alike to me. But they recognize the sheep. It's sort of like people with cats. You know, they can know, they, well, this one has a stripe on its back or, or a ring on its tail or one white foot or something like that. You know, they know each one of them. And they call them by name. He can call each one of us, them by name. But not so with cats. Sheep will actually call, or they'll actually come when they're called. So, so the, uh, the shepherd would say, you know, come, and, and they would recognize him. And you could have, and we've seen this over in, uh, in Kenya, where you have all kinds of churches meet together in order to meet these Americans that come over. And you have several pastors there. And a pastor would say, uh, all right, my group, I want to meet over in this corner. And all of his people will go there because they recognize their pastor's voice. Where was I? Okay, I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And that's... uh, that's an important point, too. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will, and now the, the ones that are not of this fold, he's talking about the sheep of his, his, this fold, and that would be the, the Jewish believers. And I have peop, the sheep I have that are not of this fold, and they would be the Gentiles, uh, them also must I bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So if uh, so, we can look and say that uh, Mike Levine is of his flock, and the rest of us are are other sheep that he's always going to going to bring with him. Uh, if uh, Lisa uh, Kester were here, you know she was she was raised Jewish. I mean she was Jewish. So that, that so we would have two Jewish. Anybody else here that's that's Jewish by birth? Okay, but you see, God has two people. God has a particular purpose for uh, the Jews later on in eschatology. But at this point, the church is made up of of all believers. So it's necessary for Jesus to die for his sheep because there is a fundamental problem with all of mankind. We have a problem. Romans 3.23, I'm sure you all know it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we've got to remember after God made Adam and Eve in the garden, not only was everything good, but after that everything was very good. Uh, They were perfect. And they only had one rule. Uh, God had commanded them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it would cause death. And if you continue reading in Genesis, you'll find out that in, in Genesis uh, uh, chapter 4, that Cain killed Abel. And you'll find out that in chapter 5, they went through a whole genealogy 
uh, everyone from Adam to Lamech died. You know, they lived. They had a son, his name was, and he lived for another years, and he died. Every one of them, and he died, and he died, and he died. Uh, death is a, is a standard for us. We know we're going to die. Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. And we have to admit, you know, each one of us, that uh, we have sinned. If you don't think you've sinned, uh, then you're blind spiritually. But everybody who looks around before they do something, I mean, even I, I do this once in a while. Uh, the other day I did not hide my wrapper from my snicker bar. It was in the front of the car. <laughs> because Marianne wasn't there, you know, I wasn't looking around. But if she'd been there, I'd, well. <laughs> okay, in the book of Exodus, the only way to avoid the death of every firstborn in each house in the land of Egypt was to kill a lamb or a goat, put his blood, they, they drained the blood into... Uh, Something, maybe even uh, the thing that they used to wash their feet in, you know, as they went through the door. Uh, they would put blood in there and they would take this, this uh, brush made out of hyssop and they would, they would hit each, well, maybe the top first and then this side and that side. You know, it almost looked like a cross if you looked at it that way. But God said, I want that blood on your door. And then when the death angel came, then if he had that blood on your door, then the firstborn, every firstborn, uh, I was the second born in my family, so I would survive. Marianne was, uh, I don't know, you were the second. So we'd be okay. But, but if, if you were the first born in your family, uh, you would die. And the first born of your children would die. And, you know, I mean, that goes on. Everybody who was the first born uh, would die. But by having that blood on the door, uh, you were protected. And so... Uh, so not just any animal would do, it must be without blemish. Now none of us can atone for our own sins because, or, or the sins of others because we are all blemished. All sinners on earth are, I mean all of us on earth are sinners. We, we do things that uh, we wish we hadn't done or we do things that we, because we thought we could get away with it or whatever. But Jesus was sinless from birth and sinless throughout his life. First uh, John Chapter 3, verses 4 uh, and 5. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was, he, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Now when it says that Jesus became sin for us, uh, it's a little play on words there, uh, you know, it didn't translate quite right, you know, in English. He, he took on our sins. Essentially, he was the sin bearer uh, sort of like the, the you know the scapegoat who put the sins of Israel on this on this goat, and essentially he was the one who was taken out into the desert to die. So Jesus uh, took our sins upon himself, but he was without sin. Uh, so as the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus shed his blood on the cross so that those who would put their faith in him would be spared from the wrath of God. So in Philippians two five. Uh, and following, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, 
taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. And that's the worst kind of death you could have back then. Therefore, God also highly exalted him. First of all, he, he was raised from the dead. God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those of earth, those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is a point where there is no argument. There is one king of kings, one Lord of lords. There is one person to be responsible to. I don't know how you were when you got the day you asked Jesus Christ to take over your life. Uh, you might have thought, I'm going to get in trouble with my mom or my dad or, or I'm going to get in trouble at work or I'm going to get... And it cut through all that and you realize there's only one person you answer to. There's only one judge that you're going to have and that's going to be God the Son. It's going to be Jesus Christ. You know, he is, he is the one who we look to as being overall. Um, do we do that today? I wish I could say that I did, that I did everything that Jesus wanted me to do, that I didn't do anything that he didn't ask me to do, or that I didn't do the things that he told me not to do. You know, each one of us can, can, uh, can relate to kingship. We don't live in a kingship. We don't believe. Uh, you know, we think that we're all free. We're all free to do their own thing. We have a democracy, so whatever everybody decides to do, that's okay. Uh, it's not okay with God. He has... He's written a lot to us about what to do and what not to do and what kind of attitude we should have in our heart. So God's plan in the beginning was to restore mankind to the very good state uh, that we were, that Adam and Eve had you know, before they, they ate of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. Now John 3.16 and 17. Everybody knows John 3.16, uh, but we're going to tack 17 onto it as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever uh, believes in him and should not, uh, should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, we're, we're born... Uh, we're not floating on the ocean thinking, well, somebody's got to throw a life preserver to me. We're dead in the ocean, and God comes to save us. He takes us up. In Romans 5, 8, but God commended his... I'm reading from the... King, I'm, i got my memory verse going here. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, we're, we're so easy to judge somebody else, to, uh, to hold back on forgiveness, uh, but even while we were enemies... Uh, Jesus died for us. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Last page. Well, finally, how does one obtain eternal life in the kingdom of God? 
And there were so many people who came up to Jesus and said, what do I got to do? As Jesus pointed out to Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus didn't understand this. Still thinking physically. John 3, 6, Jesus pointed out that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So this, this part of me is born again, not born again. No, this is flesh, you see. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we're born dead spiritually. And what God wants us to do is to be born again. We're going to be born spiritually. And that's something only he can do. So eternal life is given by God as a result of our faith, not earned by works. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I don't know how many times we go through this. Almost every Sunday, I think. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. If I could say I earned it, then I would be boasting. Like the guy who wrote the book, Humility, and how I achieved it. And I said, well, yeah, you're really being humble by that title. So, uh, so faith in whom or what? A lot of people have faith, but they got, some people have faith in, in an oak tree. I kid you not. There are, there are people who have faith in, in idols. I mean, they're, they're made by hands. Uh, they got ears that can't hear. They got eyes that can't see. They got mouth that can't speak. They got hands that can't, can't lift anything for you, but they have faith in that, in that idol. Uh, be a missionary in India, and you run into all kinds of them. Uh, you carve your own. Uh, make your own out of, out of gold or silver. So the question is, what do you have faith in? I mean, it's important here for putting your faith. By faith, you have been saved. Well, he's talking about a particular faith. To have eternal life, faith must be in the divinity of Jesus Christ, his finished work on a cross, and his resurrection. So you find any cult, and what they're doing is they're, they're changing things. They don't believe in the, that Christ is God. They don't believe he really came in the flesh. So they don't believe that part of it. They don't believe in his works. Uh, this stuff couldn't be miraculous. It must have been written after the fact. And so, you know, I can't believe anything I read in the Bible. So they're, what they're doing is they're questioning the person of Christ, they're questioning the work of Christ, and they're also questioning whether Christ rose from the dead. Because they don't want to believe. Uh, it, it's not, I, I can't see it. I can't, I can't reproduce this. It's not something I can do in the lab. And so if I can't see it, uh, I don't believe it. People say seeing is believing. Well, these are people saying, if I can't see it, I don't believe it. Uh, faith does not come from understanding. Understanding comes from faith. That's a, that's a Bible term. God will show you things when you have faith in him. So in Romans 10, uh, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, notice this isn't an oak tree or anything, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, as Jesus as Lord is one way of saying that. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? I want him to be. I asked him to be. He's got to teach me, you know, day by day to make more and more things uh, worthy of, being, of calling him Lord. 
and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For in the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And John uh, 3, 17 and 18, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. God doesn't have to condemn you. We were born condemned. We were born sinners. We're born spiritually dead. We're on the bottom of the ocean. We're not floating. So we're condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So is that a work? Well, our only work, what can I do to be saved, is believe. So it's not something I can do in the flesh. It's something I have to do in the spirit. I particularly, uh, you know, like 1 John 5.13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the only begotten Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, I've got to emphasize that word know. You don't have to think about it. God reveals himself to you. The day you ask Christ into your life, he gives you a special understanding and, and it may seem logical to you and you go to everybody around you and you say, wow, you know, this is all you got to do. And they say, oh, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Third eye in her forehead, you know, and they say, well, you're really out of there. You may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Okay, I referred to the rapture before. Uh, at the rapture, believers will be caught up to meet Jesus in the clouds. He's not coming back to the earth yet. Uh, you know, there's a little bit to do here. Uh, he's got to take care of the Jews first. Uh, but he, uh, he gave to John these words in Revelation chapter 1, 5 through 7. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Uh, that referred to the previous verse. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made kings and priests, made us kings and priests to his God and Father, in him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, even when they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. So the question is, will your king be Jesus or some idea, thing, or person on earth? Who's our king? Uh, Matt, do you have that uh, do you have that website on there? We're going to watch a three-minute video. The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. Do you know him? No means of measure can define his limitless love. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. And he's impartially much. Do you know him? He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. 
He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feet. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. You can't even teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my That's our king. And uh, as I read, he washed us from our sins in his own blood. And that's what we're going to celebrate right now with the Lord's table. We're going to be looking back to what he did uh, that he didn't have to do. Uh, he had perfect uh, fellowship and communion with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, who all work together in us to help us to be more like him every day. And that's really the purpose of us meeting together, that we would be able to encourage one another, edify one another, uh, just build each other up to be more and more like Christ in everything that we do, everything that we say, uh, the way that we worship together. It's all about Jesus Christ.